Well, welcome back. Hello. <coughs> so, uh, as usual, we are going to start this off. Uh, we're going to structure it specifically with the podcast episode in mind, but, uh, I mean, we're still live on Twitch, so just bear with us while we get through our intro. Welcome to episode three of The Idiot Book Nook brings you Harry Potter and the Philosopher slash Sorcerer's Stone. I'm Blazing. My pron pronouns are she and her. Uh, she, her, and they and them, and I am a huge nerd. I love fantasy. I love sci-fi. I'm a bit of a crafter at heart, kind of a jack-of-all-trades, and I am your non-binary trans femme representation for this episode. I am the Reading Dragon, and I am helping also to narrate this story here. I, too, love crafting and making my own things, and in the crafting field, I am also a little bit of a, a jack-of-all-trades. I also love science fiction and fantasy novels, um, especially like Lady Punnett here in previous episodes have mentioned uh ones that go deep into the lore aspect and world building aspect as myself i also uh do a lot of world building and whatnot i even have my own dungeons and dragons campaign that i run with these two here as my players and uh yeah um i really hope to one day be doing more stuff like this as a way of extra income um as well as having my own recording and editing space in the future um and yeah oh um my pronouns are she her and even even though there are times where i feel uh either more masculine or more bleh, or even just hyper feminine um otherwise i am a uh cis straight ally I'm Lady Punnett. I am a crafter sewer extraordinaire. I like video games and Dungeons and Dragons, as well as high fantasy books that, like uh, the Reading Dragon said, dive straight into lore. I use she, her pronouns, although I don't care what pronouns you use with me. I just don't usually go by he, he him. So, yeah. Woo. So, there are some things that we need to discuss with this podcast. Uh, there's just some general housekeeping rules to get out of the way first, like we have done for the last two episodes. The first thing is that we want you to know that we do not condone the author's viewpoints on certain things. Uh, specifically, this is a trans and gender non-conforming safe space, as well as other communities as well that have been that have issues or are misrepresented within the books. I know there's a lot of issues with the the story and it is considered dated and there, there's a lot of problematic things come up and we do not condone that. Um, but for us, the Harry Potter books, at least for me, the Harry Potter books were a they they were a safety net during a rather turbulent time in my life. They saw me through a good chunk of my transition uh, time, and they I found solace and home in the halls of Hogwarts uh, for those first few years. So it represents a really special place. But again, that being said, I am not a, I do not support the author's ideas on trans and gender nonconforming communities or other communities that may be impacted by what she has written. Mm 
um, we want you to know that this is free discussion. And I, as far as I'm concerned, like head canon, like I fully support trans students at Hogwarts. You know, there are certain things that magic can fix that we can't fix here in real life. And I am totally in support of head canon that fixes some of those issues. I actually started out writing a fan fiction at one point. Never really got, never really went anywhere, but I started out writing out a fan fiction of a trans student at Hogwarts at one point. Mm-hmm. So, anything else you two would like to add? No? Not at the moment, no. Cool. So, without further ado, we would like to welcome you back to the podcast. If you're watching live on Twitch, uh, we want to welcome you back after our break. If you're listening to the podcast, we want to welcome you back to our third episode where we cover chapter three and our narrator for the book uh, is going to take over at this point. Uh, just one second, Kritishai, thank you very much. Um, one thing I do want to point out is that while we're reading, we will not be interacting with our audience, but during the discussion portion, we want to bring our audience that's live on Twitch with us into the discussion, bring up, we want to discuss points that they bring up and we want to address those. We want to build a sense of community here. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, Reading Dragon, if you would take it away, the narration, please. So welcome back to Harry Potter and the Philosopher's slash Sorcerer's Stone, narrated by... The Reading Dragon, Blazewing 2010, and Lady Punnett. Chapter 3. The Letters from No One. The escape of the Brazilian boa constrictor earned Harry his longest-ever punishment. By the time he was allowed out of his cupboard again, the summer holidays had started and Dudley had already broken his new video camera, crashed his remote-control airplane, and first time out on his racing bike, knocked down old Mrs. Fig as she crossed Privet Drive on her crutches. Harry was glad school was over, but there was no escaping Dudley's gang, who visited the house every single day. Pierce, Dennis, Malcolm, and Gordon were all big and stupid, but as Dudley was the biggest and stupidest of the lot, he was the leader. The rest of them were all quite happy to join in Dudley's favorite sport, Harry hunting. This was why Harry spent as much time as possible out of the house, wandering around and thinking about the end of the holidays, where he could see a tiny ray of hope. When September came, he would be going off to secondary school, and for the first time in his life, he wouldn't be with Dudley. Dudley had been accepted at Uncle Vernon's old private school, Smeltings. Pierce Polkis was going there, too. Harry, on the other hand, was going to Stonewall High, the local public school. Dudley thought this was very funny. They stuff people's heads down the toilet the first day at Stonewall. He told Harry. Want to come upstairs and practice? No, thanks, said Harry. The poor toilet's never had anything as horrible as your head down it. It might be sick. Then he ran before Dudley could work out what he'd said. <laughs> One day in July, Aunt Petunia took Dudley to London to buy his smelting's uniform, leaving Harry at Mrs. Fig's. Mrs. Fig wasn't as bad as usual. It turned out she'd broken her leg tripping over one of her cats. 
and she didn't seem quite as fond of them as before. She let Harry watch television and gave him a bit of chocolate cake that tasted as though she had it for several years. That evening, Dudley paraded around the living room for the family in his brand new uniform. Smelting's boys were maroon tailcoats, orange knickerbockers, and flat straw hats called boaters. They also carried knobbly sticks used for hitting each other while the teachers weren't looking. This was supposed to be good training for later life. As he looked at Dudley in his new knickerbockers, Uncle Vernon said gruffly that it was the proudest moment of his life. Aunt Petunia burst into tears and said she couldn't believe it was her ickle Dudleykins. He thought two of his ribs might have already cracked from trying not I'm to laugh. Lying. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I'll just do that uh, paragraph again. Yep. As he looked at Dudley in his new knickerbockers, Uncle Vernon said gruffly that it was the proudest moment of his life. Aunt Petunia burst into tears and said she couldn't believe it was her ickle Dudleykins. He looked so handsome and grown up. Harry didn't trust himself to speak. He thought two of his ribs might already have cracked from trying not to laugh. There was a horrible smell in the kitchen the next morning when Harry went in for breakfast. It seemed to be coming from a large metal tub in his It seemed to be coming from a large metal tub in the sink. He went to have a look. The tub was full of what looked like dirty rags swimming in grey water. What's this? he asked Aunt Petunia. Her lips tightened as they always did, if he dared to ask a question. Your new school uniform, she said. Harry looked in the bowl again. Oh, he said. I didn't realize it had to be so wet. Don't be stupid, napped Aunt Petunia. I'm dyeing some of Dudley's old things gray for you. It'll look just like everyone else's when I'm finished. Harry seriously doubted this, but thought it was best not to argue. He sat down at the table and tried not to think about how he was going to look on his first day at Stonewall High, like he was wearing bits of old elephant skin, probably. Dudley and Uncle Vernon came in, both with wrinkled noses because of the smell from Harry's new uniform. Uncle Vernon opened his newspaper, as usual, and Dudley banged his smelting stick with... As usual, and Dudley banged his smelting stick, which he carried everywhere, on the table. He, they heard the click of the mail slot and flop of letters. Wait, let me read that again. They heard the click of the mail slot and flop of letters on the doormat. Get the mail, Dudley. Said Uncle Vernon from behind the paper. Make Harry get it. Get the mail, Harry. Make Dudley get it. Poke him with your smelting stick, Dudley. Oh, this poor kid. Right? Harry dodged the smelting stick and went to get the mail. Three things lay on the doormat. A postcard from Uncle Vernon's sister Marge, who was vacationing on the Isle of Wight. A brown envelope that looked like a bill. And a letter for Harry. Bet you it was from the Isle of Wight. This, this family seems really white. 
Sorry. I'll, I'll get into that point later, too. Yep. 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 Harry picked it up and stared at it, his heart twanging like a giant elastic band. No one ever in his whole life had written to him. Who would? He had no friends, no other relatives. He didn't belong to the library. So he'd never even got so he'd never even gotten a rude note asking for books back. Yet here it was, a letter, addressed so plainly there could be no mistake. Mr. H. Potter, the cupboard under the stairs, four pivot four privet drive, little winging, Surrey. The envelope was thick and heavy, made of yellowish parchment and the address was written in emerald green ink. There was no stamp. Turning the envelope over, his hand trembling, Harry saw a purple wax seal bearing a coat of arms, a lion, an eagle, a badger, and a snake surrounding a large letter H. Hurry up, boy, shouted Uncle Vernon from the kitchen. What are you doing, checking the letters for bombs? He chuckled at his own joke. Harry went back to the kitchen, still staring at his letter. He handed Uncle Vernon the bill and the postcard, sat down, and slowly began to open the yellow envelope. Uncle Vernon ripped open the bill, snorted in disgust, and flipped over the postcard. Margazil, he informed Aunt Petunia. Ate a funny well. Dad! Dudley said Dudley. Bleh said Dudley suddenly. Dad, Harry's got something. Harry was on the point of unfolding his letter, which was written on the same heavy parchment as the envelope, when it was jerked sharply out of his hand by Uncle Vernon. That's mine, said Harry, trying to snatch it back. Who'd be writing to you? Sneered Uncle Vernon, shaking the letter open with one hand and glancing at it. His face went from red to green faster than the set of his face went from red to green faster than a set of traffic lights and it didn't stop there within seconds it was the grayish white of old porridge P P petunia he gasped dudley tried to grab the letter to read it but uncle vernon held it out of his re but Uncle Vernon held it high out of his reach. Aunt Petunia took it curiously and read the first line. For a moment, it looked as though she might faint. She clutched her throat and made a choking noise. Oh my goodness, Vernon! They stared at each other, seeming to have forgotten that Harry and Dudley were still in the room. Dudley wasn't used to being ignored. He gave his father a sharp tap on the head with his smelting stick. I want to read that letter, he said loudly. I want to read it, said Harry furiously. As it's mine. Get out, both of you, croaked Uncle Vernon, stuck stuffing the letter back inside the envelope. Harry didn't move. I want my letter, he shouted. Let me see it demanded Dudley. Ouch! 
roared Uncle Vernon, and he took both Harry and Dudley by the scruffs of their necks and threw them into the hall, slamming the kitchen door behind them. Harry and Dudley promptly had a furious but silent fight over who would listen at the keyhole. Dudley won, so Harry, his glasses dangling from one ear, lay flat on his stomach to listen at the crack between the door and the floor. Vernon, Aunt Petunia was saying in a quivering voice, Look at the address. How could they possibly have known where he sleeps? You don't think they're watching the house? Watching, spying, might be following us, muttered Uncle Vernon wildly. But what should we do, Vernon? Should we write back, tell them we don't want? Harry could see Uncle Vernon's shiny black shoes pacing up and down the kitchen. No. He said finally. No, we'll ignore it. If they don't get an answer, yes, that's best. We won't do anything. But... I'm not having one in the house, Petunia. Didn't we swear when we, when we took him in we'd stamp out that dangerous nonsense? That evening, when he got back from work, Uncle Vernon did something he'd never done before. He visited Harry in his cupboard. Where's my letter? said Harry, the moment Uncle Vernon had squeezed through the door. Who's writing to me? No one. It was addressed to you by mistake, said Uncle Vernon shortly. I have burned it. It was not a mistake, said Harry, ang said Harry angrily. I had it. I had it. Uh, it had my cupboard on it. Silence! yelled Uncle Vernon, and a couple of spiders fell from the ceiling. He took a few deep breaths and then forced his face into a smile, which looked quite painful. Uh, yes, uh, Harry, uh, about this cupboard. Your aunt and I have been thinking you're really getting a bit big for it. We think it might be nice if he moved into Dudley's second bedroom. Why? said Harry. Don't ask questions, snapped his uncle. Take this stuff upstairs now. The Dursley's house had four bedrooms, one for Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia, one for visitors, usually Uncle Vernon's sister Marge, one where, one where Dudley slept, and one where Dudley kept all the toys and things that wouldn't fit into his first bedroom. It only took Harry one trip upstairs to move everything he owned from the cupboard to his room. I'm going to do that sentence again. It only took Harry one trip upstairs to move everything he owned from the cupboard to this room. He sat down on the bed and stared around him. Nearly everything in here was broken. The month-old video camera was lying on top of a small working tank Dudley had once driven over the next-door neighbor's dog. In the corner was Dudley's first-ever television set, which he'd put his foot through when his favorite program had been cancelled. There was a large birdcage which had once held a parrot that Dudley had wrapped, mm, that Dudley had swapped at school for a real air rifle, which was up for, which was up on a shelf with the end all bent because Dudley had sat on it. Other shelves were full of books. They were the only things in the room that looked as though they'd never been touched. 
From downstairs came the sound of Dudley bawling at his mother. I don't want him there. I need that room. Make him get out. Harry sighed and stretched out on the bed. Yesterday, he had... Yesterday, he'd have given everything. Mm, sorry, let me do that sentence again. Yesterday, he had... Just a second. Are you good? Sorry, guys, just bear with us for one moment. One. Uh-huh. <sighs> All right. Yesterday, he'd have given anything to be up here. Today, he'd rather be back in his cupboard with that letter than up here without it. Next morning, at breakfast, everyone was rather quiet. Dudley was in shock. He'd screamed, whacked his father with his smelting stick, been sick. Oh, let me... Okay. He'd screamed, whacked his father with his smelting stick, been sick on purpose, kicked his mother, and thrown his tortoise through the greenhouse roof. And he still didn't have his room back. Harry was thinking about this time yesterday and bitterly wishing he'd opened the letter in the hall. Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia kept looking at each other darkly. When the mail arrived, Uncle Vernon, who seemed to be trying to be nice to Harry, made Dudley go and get it. They heard him banging things with his smelting stick all the way down the hall. Then he shouted, There's another one! Mr. H. Potter, the smallest bedroom, four privet drive. With a strangled cry, Uncle Vernon leapt from his seat and ran down the hall, Harry right behind him. Uncle Vernon had to rustle Dudley to the ground to get the letter from him, which was made difficult by the fact that Harry had grabbed Uncle Vernon around the neck from behind. After a minute of confused fighting, in which everyone got hit a lot by the smelting stick, Uncle Vernon straightened up, gra gasping for breath, with Harry's letter clutched in his hand. Go to your cupboard, I mean your bedroom. He wheezed at Harry. Dudley, go. Just go. Harry walked around. Mm. Harry walked round and round his new room. Someone knew he had moved out of his cupboard, and they seemed to know he hadn't received his first letter. Surely that meant they'd try again? And this time, he'd make sure they didn't fail. He had a plan. The repaired alarm clocks... Mm. The repaired alarm clock rang at six o'clock in the morning. Harry turned it off quickly and dressed silently. He mustn't wake the Dursleys. He stole downstairs without turning on any of the lights. He was going to wait for the postman on the corner of Privet Drive and get the letters for number four first. His heart hammered as he crept across the dark hall toward the front door. Harry leapt into the air. He trodden on he'd trodden on something big and squashy on the doormat. Something alive. Lights clicked on mm. 
Lights clicked on upstairs, and to his horror, Harry realized that the big, squashy something had been his uncle's face. Uncle Vernon had been lying at the foot of the front door in a sleeping bag, clearly making sure that Harry didn't do exactly what he'd been trying to do. He shouted at Harry for about half an hour and then told him to go and make a cup of tea. Harry shuffled miserably off into the kitchen, and by the time he got back, the mail had arrived right into Uncle Vernon's lap. Harry could see three letters addressed in green ink. I want... He began, but Uncle Vernon was tearing the letters into pieces before his eyes. Uncle Vernon didn't go to work that day. He stayed at home and nailed the mail slot. See? He explained to Aunt Petunia through a mouthful of nails. If they can't deliver them, they'll just give up. I'm not sure they'll work, Vernon. Oh, these people's minds work in strange ways, Petunia. They're not like you and me. Said Uncle Vernon, trying to knock in a nail with the piece of fruitcake Aunt Petunia had just bought him. How hard is her fruitcake? I... Apparently you have to let fruitcake sit for like 30 days before it can be edible. Yep. But anyways. <laughs> On Friday, no less than 12 letters arrived. On Friday, no less than 12 letters arrived for Harry. As they couldn't go through the mail slot, they had been pushed under the door, slotted through the sides, and a few even forced through the small window in the downstairs bathroom. Uncle Vernon stayed at home again. After burning all the letters, he got out a hammer and nails and boarded up the cracks around the front and back doors so no one could go out. He hummed. Tiptoe through the tulips. As he worked and jumped at small noises. The, the song goes, tiptoe through the tulips. Yep. I know the song way too well. <laughs> TikTok will do that to you. On Saturday, things began to get out of hand. Twenty-four letters to Harry found their way into the house, rolled up and hidden inside each of the two dozen eggs that their very confused milkman had handed Aunt Petunia through the living room window. While Uncle Vernon made furious telephone calls to the post office and the dairy trying to find someone to complain to, Aunt Petunia shredded the letters in her food processor. Who on earth wants to talk to you this badly? Dudley asked Harry in amazement. On He's... Sunday morning, Uncle Vernon sat down at breakfast. <clears throat> Uncle Vernon sat down at the breakfast table, looking tired and rather ill, but happy. No post on Sundays. He reminded them cheerfully as he spread marmalade on his newspapers no damn letters today something came whizzing down the kitchen chimney as he spoke and caught him sharply on the back of the head next moment 30 or 40 letters came pelting out of the fireplace like bullets the dursleys ducked but harry leapt into the air trying to catch one out out Uncle Vernon seized Harry around the waist and threw him into the hall. When Aunt Petunia and Dudley had run out with their arms over their faces, Uncle Vernon slammed the door shut. They could hear the letters still streaming into the room, bouncing off the walls and floor. 
That does it, said Uncle Vernon, trying to speak calmly, but pulling great tufts out of his mustache at the same time. I want you all back here in five minutes, ready to leave. We're going away. Just pack some clothes and no arguments. He looked so dangerous with half his mustache missing that no one dared argue. Ten minutes later, they had wretched their way through the boarded-up doors and were in the car, speeding toward the highway. Dudley was sniffling in the back seat. His father had hit him round the head for holding them up while he tried to pack his television, VCR, and computer into his sports bag. They drove, and they drove. Even Aunt Petunia didn't dare ask where they were going. Every now and then, Uncle Vernon would take a sharp turn and drive in the opposite direction for a while. Shake him off. Shake him off. He would mutter whenever he did this. They didn't stop to eat or drink all day. By nightfall, Dudley was howling. He'd never had such a bad day in his life. He was hungry. He'd missed five television programs he'd wanted to see. And he'd never gone so long without blowing up an alien on his computer. Uncle Vernon stopped at last outside a gloomy-looking hotel on the outskirts of a big city. Dudley and Harry shared a room with twin beds and damp, musty sheets. Dudley snored, but Harry stayed awake, sitting on the windowsill, staring down at the lights of passing cars and wondering. They ate stale corn... They ate stale cornflakes and cold tinned tomatoes on toast for breakfast the next day. They had just finished when the owner of the hotel came over to their table. Lady Punnett, this is your go. Me? What is by you, Mr. H. Potter? Only I got about a hundred of these at the front desk. She held up a letter so they could read the green ink address. Mr. H. Potter, Room 17, Railview Hotel, Cokeworth. Harry made a grab for the letter, but Uncle Vernon knocked his hand out of the way. The woman stared. I'll take them, said Uncle Vernon, standing up quickly and following her to the dining from the dining room. Wouldn't it be better just to go home, dear? Aunt Petunia suggested timidly. Hours later, but Uncle mm, Aunt Petunia suggested timidly. Hours later, but Uncle Vernon didn't seem to hear her. Exactly what he was looking for, none of them knew. He drove them into the middle of a forest, got out, looked around, shook his head, got back in the car, and off they went again. The same thing happened in the middle of a ploughed field, halfway across a suspension bridge, and at the top of a multi-level parking garage. Daddy's gone mad, hasn't he? Dudley asked Aunt Petunia dully late that afternoon. Uncle Vernon had parked at the coast, locked them all inside the car, and disappeared. It started to rain. Great drops beat on the roof of the car. Dudley sniveled. It's Monday, he told his mother. The great Humberto's on tonight. I want to stay somewhere with a television. Monday. This reminded Harry of something. 
If it was Monday, and you could usually count on Dudley to know the days of the week because of television, then tomorrow, Tuesday, was Harry's 11th birthday. Of course, his birthdays were never exactly fun. Last year, the Dursleys had given him a coat hanger and a pair of Uncle Vernon's old socks. Still, you weren't 11 every day. Uncle Vernon was back and he was smiling. He was also carrying a long, thin package and didn't answer Aunt Petunia when she asked what he'd bought. Found the perfect place, he said. Come on, everyone out. It was very cold outside the car. Uncle Vernon was pointing at what looked like a large rock way out at sea. Perched on top of the rock was the most miserable little shack you could imagine. One thing was certain. There was no television in there. Storm forecast for tonight, said Uncle Vernon gleefully, clapping his hands together. And this gentleman's kindly agreed to lend us his boat. A toothless old man came ambling up to them, pointing with a rather wicked grin at an old rowboat bobbing in the iron-gray water below them. I've already got us some rations, said Uncle Vernon. So all aboard. It was freezing in the boat. Icy sea spray and rain crept down their necks, and a chilly wind whipped their faces. After what seemed like hours, they reached the rock, where Uncle Vernon, slipping and sliding, led the way to the broken-down house. The inside was horrible. It smelled strongly of seaweed. The wind whistled through the gaps in the wooden walls, and the fireplace was damp and empty. There were only two rooms. Uncle Vernon's rations turned out to be a bag of chips each and four bananas. He tried to start a fire, but the empty chick bags just smoked and shriveled up. Could do with some of those letters now, eh? He said cheerfully. He was in a very good mood. Obviously, he thought somebody stood a... <clears throat> Obviously, he thought nobody stood a chance of reaching them here in a storm to deliver mail. Harry privately agreed, though he thought... D though the thought didn't cheer him up at all. As night fell, the promised storm blew up around them. Spray from the high waves splattered the walls of the, sh of the hut, and a fierce wind rattled the filthy windows. Aunt Petunia found a few moldy blankets in the second room and made up a bed for Dudley on the moth-eaten sofa. She and Uncle Vernon went off to the lumpy bed next door, and Harry was left to find the softest bit of floor he could and curl up under the thinnest, most ragged blanket. The storm raged more and more furiously as the night went on. Harry couldn't sleep. He shivered and turned over, trying to get comfortable, his stomach rumbling with hunger. Dudley's snores were drowned by the low rolls of thunder that started near midnight. The lighted dial of Dudley's watch, which was dangling over the edge of the sofa on his fat wrist, told Harry he'd be eleven in ten minutes' time. He lay and watched his birthday trick he lay and watched his birthday tick nearer, wondering if the Dursleys would remember at all wondering where the letter writer was now.
Five minutes to go. Harry heard something creak outside. He hoped the roof wasn't going to fall in, although he might be warmer if it did. Four minutes to go. Maybe the house on Privet Drive would be so full of letters when they got back that he'd be able to steal one somehow. Three minutes to go. Was that the sea slapping hard on the rock while... Was that the sea slapping hard on the rock like that? And two minutes to go. What was that funny crunching noise? Was the rock crumbling into the sea? One minute to go, and he'd be eleven. Thirty seconds. Twenty. Ten. Nine. Maybe he'd wake Dudley up just to annoy him. Three. Two. One. Boom! The whole shack shivered, and Harry sat bolt upright, staring at the door. Someone was outside, knocking to come in. Well, that was chapter three, the letters from no one. So let's get into the discussion. Let's start off with Lady Punnett this time. This chapter proves that Vernon's not above being abusive towards his blood because it stated that he hit Dudley for taking too long packing. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I get it, you shouldn't try and pack a TV and all that stuff, but you still hit your son hard enough that he was crying. Yep, yep. Which that- Harry has stated in Chapter 2, Dudley hasn't actually cried in many years since he actually perfected that. Mm-hmm. So you hit him hard enough that he actually cried. So yeah, I'm not actually making excuses for that but we also have to understand that Dudley has never been hit a day in his life which means Mm -hmm. even just a short smack might make him go into that that being said it this chapter also points out just how much of a moron Vernon is yep he's not exactly the brightest crayon in the box or the brightest bulb in the in the box nope (laughs) like you're dealing with magic here. You're dealing with people who are magical and you're still trying to evade them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan, jo- the dude says Vernon knows more than he lets on. Yes, absolutely. 100%. We both know that we all know that Petunia and Vernon know much more than they are letting on or that they will let mm-hmm. Harry see. They know I- who's trying to get in touch with them. I would like to point out though, that since Petunia would have known how letters are delivered with the magical community. She didn't share this information with Vernon because he actually tried to call the post office to make it stop. But she didn't tell him they have a different postal service. Yep. Which means she's actively hiding stuff from Vernon, which again lends to the theory that Vernon is abusive and Petunia is actually potentially trying to protect Harry and that she is not telling Vernon everything that she knows about the magical community in order to somewhat protect him, which paints her in a better light. Mm -hmm. That's actually kind of proven because she knows about Azkaban. She never told him about it. Yep. Uh, Reading Dragon, what are your thoughts? Just 
reading this chapter and having in my head the whole process of Vernon going into that madness of trying to get as far away as possible from those letters physically <laughs> to to no uh, result whatsoever. Um, it's just kind of interesting to see how it's played out in the book versus the film. Because in the film, it's a lot of a shorter instance. And it doesn't really... And the films don't really go into how much effort Vernon actually puts in to get them as far away from the original place of those letters as possible. Um, they could have definitely done a better job at painting that to mm -hmm. really... Uh, express how maddening this was for Vernon. Yeah, that's that's uh, something to address. Actually, is we've already seen like this story's only just started. We're only within the first few chapters, and already we've seen some marked differences between the movies and the books. The movies cut out the entire first chapter of the book, and they didn't go into nearly as much detail in chapter three, uh, chapters two and three, as they could have in order to help set the scene for this, in order to help paint, uh, in order to help paint things and show things off in a much more distinct light. In fact, in chapter two, the whole thing with the zoo and the scene with the snake, in the film, it was only Dudley that went into the snake tank. Whereas yes. in the book, Dudley had his friend Pierce with them. I can't actually, uh, so it's been a, it's been a moment since I've seen the movies. You'll have to forgive me, but I can't actually mm -hmm. remember Piers being in the first movie at all. You actually don't see Dudley's friends until the I think it's film. Uh, I, I, I actually want to say you see his friends during the, uh, the film with the, uh, where Dudley gets attacked by the, uh, mentors. So you're thinking yeah, the sixth order. film. Order oh, of that's order of the Order of the Phoenix, book five. So I'm... the fifth. Oh, the fifth movie then. That, uh, yeah, because okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Sorry, I'm just working through things here in my mind. I don't want to discuss things before we're actually at that point. But um, the end of book four has certain events that take place. That that would actually be Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, book five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but like throughout the film series, you don't see that Dudley actually has friends until around the fifth film. Whereas in the books, it it's so far just in book one talked about Dudley's friends a lot. Yep, um, and they are very much setting again. They are very much setting up that whole abusive uh, mentality with the Dursleys. They're trying to show in the book. It actually shows you just how far the Dursleys will go and it paints them in a much worse light than the movies does with the movies it's just like oh whatever but with the books you can actually see the abuse that's being given out mm -hmm. they make a point to go into that specifically yep also Vernon is not real good with getting rations no he's not like I said Vernon is not the brightest bulb in the box he's not he's not the smartest person and he doesn't know how to plan ahead nope I think part of the issue with that is they didn't bank cards weren't that common in the early nineties. That's fair. To my knowledge. Like and... I was in the early nineties. Mm hmm So he might have ran out of cash. That being Probably. said though, there is one thing that he purchased that we're actually gonna be seeing next chapter that is 
not exactly a cheap item, which means he had cash on him. He just mm -hmm. chose not to spend it on food. He didn't right. spend it wisely. Correct. Yeah. So again, setting up that whole wisdom. bananas. One mm -hmm. banana person. Again, yep. setting up that whole lack of wisdom thing with uh, Uncle Vernon. In a survivalist situation, he'd be dead. Uh, yep. Yep. He would not survive a zombie apocalypse. Nor he, nor would he survive out in, um, just in any survival situation. I'm curious to know what Vernon's parents were like. I don't know if we have any information on, on them. Uh, why don't you guys oh. chat for a minute? I'm going to go see if I can pull up some lore on Vernon here. Speaking okay. of parents, so... We've been over how uh, Vernon is very, very white, and mm -hmm. so is Marge. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have uh, headcanoned and noted that Harry is sometimes described as dark features, so they believe he might be a uh, Desi. Oh. Or like East Indian, which is another reason why they don't like why Vernon doesn't like him because he's half East Indian. Right. He's of mixed heritage. Mm -hmm. And you know how. People in Britain were about people of mixed heritage back in the early 90s. Yeah. So here's what I've got. Uncle Vernon's biography, again, brought to you from harrypotter.fandom.com. Again, these guys do a lot of research. They, they've done their work on this, so I'm using them as a primary source. And there will be other things that I will dig into. Um, Nuffy says... Yep, the theory is that James was dark-skinned. Uh, but as for Uncle Vernon, uh, early life. Little is known about Vernon's childhood life. He was born into the Muggle Dursley family and attended Smeltings Academy as a secondary school. Vernon had an older sister named Marjorie, Marge the family members and friends, who made a living breeding bulldogs. Vernon started working for Grunnings in 1975, met Petunia Evans, who he later married. Uh, at some time, Vernon proposed marriage, blah, blah, blah. We don't actually have any information, it looks like, on Vernon's parents at all. Uh, at least okay. not from this source. I may have to go dig mm. into the actual Wizarding World website for that. Hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, but the theory is, at least, that Vernon comes from an upper middle class, lower upper upper class family. Because uh, according to what you just read, he and Marge were very business oriented and did things that did what did what they could to make sure that they were living relatively wealthy lives. If I recall correctly, I think Marge is a breeder. Yeah, it said that she was breeding bulldogs for cash. So. I'm actually looking, uh, do we want to get into the lore behind Vernon? Like the actual official lore? Because I have, uh, I have a passage here. Of what? Of, of Vernon. Mark? Vernon Dursley. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Let's, you can okay. try and understand his raising. So this comes from wizardingworld.com. Uh, give me one second. One thing to note for the British, being tanned if you're white, denotes that you spend a lot of time outside, which denotes lower class. Harry spends a lot of time outside. That is actually mm. a very good note to know, Critter. Thank you very much for that. Uh, this comes straight from the Wizarding World, so the pen of uh, the author of this series. Harry's aunt and uncle met at work. Petunia Evans, forever embittered by the fact that her parents seemed to value her witch sister more than they valued her, left Cokeworth forever. That's interesting. They ended up mm. in Cokeworth in this chapter, and that's where uh, Petunia is from. 
to pursue a job oh, uh, typing course in London. This led to an office job where she met the extremely unmagical, opinionated, and materialistic Vernon Dursley. Large and necklace, this junior executive seemed a model of manliness to young Petunia. He not only returned to her romantic interest, but was deliciously normal. Uh, he had a perfect, he had a perfectly correct car and wanted to do completely ordinary things. And by the time he had taken her on a series of dull dates, during which he talked mainly about himself and his predictable ideas on, on the world, Petunia was dreaming of the moment when he would place a ring on her finger. So she wa she was dreaming of basically an ordinary life. When, in due course, Vernon Dursley proposed uh, marriage, very correctly, on one knee in his mother's sitting room, Petunia accepted at once. The one fly in her delicious ointment was the fear that, uh, was the fear of what her now fiancé would make of her sister, who was now in her final year of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Vernon was apt to despise even people who, were brown, who wore brown shoes with black suits, what he would make of a young woman who spent most of her time wearing long robes and casting spells. Petunia could hardly bear to think. She confessed the truth during during a tear-stained date in Vernon's dark car as they sat overlooking the chip shop where Vernon had just bought them a post-cinema snack. Vernon, as Petunia had expected, was deeply shocked. However, he told Petunia solemnly that he would never hold it against her if she had a freak for his sister, and Petunia threw herself upon him in such violent gratitude that he dropped his battered sausage. The first meeting between Lily, her boyfriend James Potter, and the engaged couple went badly, and the relationship nosedived from there. James was amused by Vernon and made the mistake of showing it. Oh, God damn it, James. Vernon tried That's to... That's James for you. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Vernon tried to patronize James, asking what car he drove. James described his racing broom. Vernon supposedly let out that wizards had to live on unemployment benefit. James explained about Gringotts and, his, and the fortune his parents had saved there in solid gold. Vernon could not tell whether he was being made fun of or not and grew very angry. The evening ended with Vernon and Petunia storming out of the restaurant while Lily burst into tears and James, a little ashamed of himself, promised to make things up with Vernon at the earliest opportunity. <laughs> James, you little shit potter, right? This, unfortunately, never happened. Petunia did not want Lily as a bridesmaid because she was tired of being overshadowed, and Lily was hurt. Vernon refused to speak to James at the reception, but described him within James's earshot as some kind of amateur magician. Once married, Petunia grew ever more like Vernon. She loved their neat square house at number four Privet Drive. She was secure now from the objects that behaved strangely, from teapots that suddenly piped tunes as she passed, or long conversations about things she did not understand with names like Quidditch and Transfiguration. And she and Vernon chose not to attend Lily and James's wedding. The very last piece of correspondence she received from Lily and James was the announcement of Harry's birth, and after one contemptuous look, Petunia threw it into the bin. Um, one second. The shock of finding their orphan nephew on the doorstep a little over a year later was therefore extreme. The letter that accompanied him related uh, how his parents had been murdered and asked the Dursleys to take him in. It explained that due to the sacrifice Lily had made in lying down her life for her son, Harry would be safe from the vengeance of Lord Voldemort as long as he could call the place home where her blood still existed. This meant that Number 4 Privet Drive was the, his only sanctuary. Prior to Harry's arrival, Petunia had become, if anything, the more determined of the Dursleys in suppressing all talk about her sister. Petunia had some latent feelings of guilt about the way she had cut Lily, whom she knew in her secret heart had always loved her, out of her life, which confirms our suspicions here that we talked about uh, previously. But these mm -hmm. were buried under the considerable jealousy and bitterness. Petunia also had uh, buried inside her and never confessed to Vernon her long ago hope that she too would show signs of magic and spirited and be spirited off to Hogwarts. 
Reading the shocking contents of Dumbledore's letter, however, which told her how bravely Lily died, she felt she had no choice but to take care, uh, take Harry in and raise him alongside her own cherished son, Dudley. She did it grudgingly and spent the rest of Harry's childhood punishing him for her own choice. Vernon's dislike of Harry's stems in part, like Severus Snape's, which we'll get into later, from Harry's close resemblance to the father they both so disliked. Their lies to Harry on the subject of how his parents had died were based largely on their own fears. A dark wizard as powerful as Lord Voldemort frightened them too much to contemplate, and like every subject they found disturbing or distasteful, they pushed it to the back of their minds and maintained the died-in-a-car-crash story so consistently that they almost managed to persuade themselves that it was true. Even though Petunia was raised alongside a witch, she is remarkably ignorant about magic. She and Vernon share a confused idea that they will somehow be able to squash the magic out of Harry, and in an attempt to throw off the letters that arrive from Hogwarts on Harry's 11th birthday, she and Vernon fall back into the old superstition that witches cannot cross water, which is how they ended up on the island, apparently. She had frequently seen Lily jump streams and run across stepping stones in their childhood. She ought not to have been surprised when Hagrid had no difficulty making his way over the stormy sea to the hut on the rock. We have a nugget on stream. We do have a nugget I, on stream. I knew So just a little bit of background information on them. What are your guys' thoughts? That definitely confirms a lot of theories we were having just now. Yep. That, uh, you know, she felt bad and that she was doing the best that she could, even though she kind of railroaded herself into this life. And this is what she wanted due to how she reacted and her feelings of rejection as a child. Mm -hmm. It also confirms the theory that, yes, she did have a jealous streak because she herself wanted to be with her sister and being praised like her sister was for the all all the magic and all of the wonder that her sister was bringing into the otherwise non-magic household it also tentatively paints vernon as the abusive person we think he is mm -hmm. like it's not said outright but there are subtle hints throughout that piece of writing mm -hmm. which is interesting i I think we actually hit the nail on the head with a lot of points that we've discussed over the last three chapters. Oh, yeah. Lady Punnett. I have a cat. You have a cat. Handsome boy. Um, um, but yes, I do agree that it does paint the whole point of it. And the fact that Petunia's whole goal was she wanted to find someone as normal as possible and she picked Vernon... Like, you mean to tell me there was no more, like, semi-attractive men there that that were just as normal as Vernon? Well, well you also have to imagine, though, um, Petunia wasn't um, super attractive either, physically. So, and she was also, being growing up as bitter as she did, she probably didn't attract the attention of a lot of suitors, much like Lily did. She was she, basically Petunia allowed her bitterness to grow within her, and that shaped the type of person that she was. And that also reflects in the way that she's described both, uh, kind of emotionally within the book, as well as, for lack of a better word, physically. That that rot has shown through. Whereas Lily was bright, she was vibrant, she was full of life, at least from what we understand. You know, she had that love and she allowed herself to blossom. Mm -hmm. 
um, Petunia allowed that to take over her life, and this also affected choices later on down the line, such as the one where she married Vernon. For instance, in this piece of writing, Vernon Dursley is described as large and necklace. Mm -hmm. So even at that point when they married, he wasn't exactly, you know... Attractive. I guess by societal standards. Mm -hmm. By societal standards... He was large and necklace. Jordan, unless unless she's into larger dudes, that could very well be as well. We don't have enough information to go on. She could also be trying to get as opposite of yeah. her sister as possible. This mm -hmm. this could very well be a thing. There there is kind of a uh, kind of almost a competition, or I guess uh, what's the term foil. She's mm -hmm. used almost as a foil to Lily. Uh, Jordan the Dude says, I always wondered why they went to an island. Yeah, apparently it stems from an old myth that witches and wizards can't cross running water. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting. I don't know where that stems from, but uh, mm -hmm. I know it's like part of the old um, myths and legends, but I don't know exactly where that comes from. Mm -hmm. I think Vernon's getting his mythology confused because there was the myth that vampires can't move across moving water. There's mm -hmm. also a thing way Stop back. Stop fighting me! A lot of the agent, a lot of the ancient lore or the old lore, also says that witches aren't supposed to be able to cross running water. Anything supernatural, basically, uh, if I understand correctly, a lot of them can't cross running water in the old lores. In, in modern, in modern uh, pop culture and contemporary literature and lore, and lore that we have today, a lot of that is kind of done away with because it's seen as old-fashioned and we have other things now that we can kind of substitute in instead of having the running water. Mm -hmm. um, also, this kind of brings me back to the uh, fan fiction that you and I were talking about in previous chapters. Methods of rationality? Uh, yeah. Yep. Um, like I said, Petunia wasn't exactly as physically attractive to societal standards as Lily was. And part of that whole thing that kind of put a rift between her and Lily was that event where Petunia asked Lily to do a certain thing for her. And that was to actually fix up her, or like magically fix up her face. To not look like, as poor, correct? Yeah. Like, Petunia wanted to look prettier. She wanted to fit more of the societal standards of beauty. And when she came up to Lily for that, Lily refused because she didn't want to go to Azkaban. Yep. And she didn't think that Petunia exactly needed it. And that was part of, and that was one of the big rifts that set them apart. Wait, it's against the law to fix up your face? Well, during that time, I think Lily was more afraid of practicing magic outside of school or studies. Uh oh. Well, all she <laughs> had to say then was, look, I can't do it now. If you wait until I'm 17, I'll do it for you then. Mm -hmm. Jordan the Dude says, also, if they had stayed on the island, was Petunia going to teach Dudley? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a question we're not ready to answer here, unfortunately. I think they were just waiting until after the first day of term. Fair. Probably. Um, I want to, since we delved a bit into Vernon and a bit into the relationship between Petunia and Vernon, I want to delve solely into Petunia here for a second. 
And this okay. comes from thewizardingworld.com, just to give a bit of background information. Petunia Dursley had plenty of reasons to hate and fear magic back when her name was Petunia Evans. As a child, she watched her little sister Lily do many strange things. To make matters worse, Lily Evans befriended a, be a bedraggled boy named Severus Snape, who didn't think Lily was strange at all and told her all about magic. As Petunia was the, as Petunia was the muggle sister, it wasn't long before Snape turned on her, using his power to make a branch fall and hit her. As well as the physical damage, he added further insult to injury by emotionally hurting her too. Wouldn't spy on you anyway, he added spitefully. You're a muggle. Though Petunia evidently did not understand the words, she could hardly mistake the tone. This is a quote from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, which we will get into potentially, we will potentially get into later. I forgot about that. Experiences like these would have shaped Petunia's attitude to magic for years to come. From Snape's final memories bestowed to Harry, it seems the Evans sisters used to have a close relationship. They bickered, as sisters do. But we also saw them playing together, sticking up for each other, and Lily affectionately calling her big sis as Toonie. Racism or classism? Very potentially, Neppy. Unfortunately, there was no escaping the fact that one of the girls possessed gifts that the other did not. The situation is difficult uh, enough among Muggle siblings, so what happens when this gift happens to be magic? And where did that leave poor Petunia? There's another quote here from the Deathly Hallows. I don't want to get too far into that. But... Um... When Lily boarded the Hogwarts Express, the girls were separated in more ways than one. They realized they belonged to two different worlds, and Petunia couldn't help but feel left behind. In her eyes, magic probably tore the family apart. Petunia en envied her sister's abilities, and frankly, who wouldn't? Everyone wants to feel special, and we've all wished we had magical abilities at some point. When forced to accept that she'd never be a witch, Petunia fashioned an identity as the normal one, taking pride in conformity and using Lily's weirdness as a mean of one-upmanship. Uh, we get into another quote here, actually from chapter four, and we'll get into that later. Petunia and Lily's rift grew deeper when they married, to put it lightly, to very different men. Vernon Dursley's poor first impression of James meant that the two couples saw very little of each other. Meanwhile, Vernon would have encouraged the worst aspects of Petunia's character, making her petty, judgmental, and incredibly bitter towards anything or anyone different. Again, kind of showing off that narcissism and that abuse that we've, we've kind of poked at. No doubt Petunia would have been saddened by the news of Lily's death, but those complicated emotions, grief, regret, and unresolved jealousy were probably buried in the distractions of housework, gossip, and pandering to her son Dudley's every whim. Harry's presence agitated and unnerved Petunia because he, reminder, he reminded her of things she spent her life trying to avoid. His eyes, which, Lily's eyes, which, we're going to get into that whole shit show later on in this book, because there's a whole mm -hmm. thing there. Mm -hmm. uh, recalled the sister she'd lost and broken the relationship that could never be mended. Petunia knew that her nephew was destined for the magical world once uh, she once desperately longed to be a part of, rekindling old jealousies and feeling of inferiority. To cope with not being magical herself, Petunia seemed to have decided magic was a bad thing. And additionally, Petunia knew that Harry's world was full of danger and put, and put her own family at risk, including her precious Ickle Dudleykins. Yes, we all giggled at Dudley's uh, we are going to actually skip past that because that's got spoilers. Um, and then we're going to skip past that because that's got spoilers for the last book. So we're not going to go too far into that, but it paints this whole kind of picture that it is that jealousy and that, uh, resentment again, that she allows to fester and grow and essentially turn into rot, um, mm -hmm. that shapes her entire life and sets the tone for her marrying Dursley and not having a relationship with her sister and allowing that to tear them apart. Rot, if mm -hmm. you allow it to fester, will destroy everything. Yep. So let me get this straight. 
The whole reason Petunia doesn't have a good relationship with magic, not only is because her sister got it, but she didn't, but because of Severus Snape and James Potter. Yep. yep. Effectively, yes. So it's yeah. all magic, so it's the men's fault. Effectively, yep. yes. And then, again, once again, Vernon Dursley, the, uh, a man, only helped exacerbate certain qualities, only helps uh, encourage certain qualities and exacerbate that whole situation. Yep. I actually forgot how much of an asshole Snape was. Like, I knew James was a bit of an asshat. So and a, that's and a, a bully. That's a discussion that we'll get into later. If we go further in the series, that is a discussion we'll have at the end of the series because there's a lot more that we don't know about Snape, especially within this first book or within the first six books. We find out so much about him during book seven. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that I think, I think that is a discussion best left for um, later on. Nepeto says, are we sure Vernon wasn't the Horcrux? Again, a discussion for <laughs> book seven. Yeah. Because Nepeto says, I will never understand why the fan base loves Snape so much, considering what an abusive asshole he was. Because right? they would rather dismiss the abusiveness and assume that Snape was a good guy and he was only looking out for Harry on account of Snape was in love with his mother, with, with uh, Harry's mother, with Lily. Um, they would rather excuse that or dismiss that and kind of embrace the love. And it doesn't make him a good person, and I get that, and you're right. Snape is a complete and utter asshole. Snape, Snape yep. is an abusive dick. He could have done things so much better when it came to Harry, mm -hmm. and he chose not to because, again, his resentment yep. and his the... regret and his jealousy. Yep. And a lot of that ended up getting uh, dished at towards James when Lily and James started seeing each other. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And don't forget, I think it was Severus's resentment that actually led him to become a Death Eater, which we'll get into later on. Nepotus says, if anything that makes it creepy AF, dude, you drove her away, abused her kid, and never let go of a woman that chose someone else. <laughs> yeah, and, and that is kind of stalkerish, and that is kind of creepy, but again, there are certain ideals and certain things that, that are told. It kind of needs that trope in order to tell the story fully. That being said, Severus Snape is still an asshole, and he is still a... he's a trash person. Yeah back to this chapter though since we haven't been introduced to any of the hogwarts professors yet mm -hmm. um if there was like some things i there's not a lot i want to change in this chapter because it's a good chapter overall it's like shows mm -hmm. what's happening on to show more silent ally uh petunia because i'm, I'm going to be stuck on this this is going to be my thing from now on si <laughs> silent ally petunia um I would have just, even just as simple as Harry saw Petunia periodically looking in the back mirror to look at both him and Dudley to make sure they were still awake. Mm hmm Or still breathing. Yep. <laughs> or make sure they were okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Threw, handed Dudley a water bottle and threw one at Harry. Yeah. I do want to say I like the idea of the silent ally Petunia and I want to hold on to that that energy for the if we decide to delve into the other books um mm -hmm. i think that is a really good idea to hold on to and see just how well that holds up throughout the series mm -hmm. 
Now I'm kind of want to see like uh, fanfics from Petunia's perspective. I, read... I once. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I once. This was like a short. It was a really short one shot. It was like the day Petunia got the baby in, and so it was interesting. Though it was a character study done on her, and what she had done was she had decided magic would not touch this baby and she brought harry to the sink and literally scrubbed the baby's skin raw because she didn't want any magic traces on him and then she locked him away in the cupboard so that way magic couldn't get to him because she swore that magic would not take him like it took her sister yeah oh shit so it was a it was short but really powerful i just had a thought um, right now, all we're going to have is kind of the podcast feed, but uh, if we as the Idiot Book Nook decide we want to open a website, I would like to offer an invitation. Um, we can start off by doing by putting thing, what I'm about to mention kind of in the show notes, but if we decide to open up a website and maintain a website, we could potentially look at creating a section for this. I would like to offer an invitation. You can email the idiot book nook at gmail.com but i would like to see what people's favorite harry potter fan fictions are we've all read the books we know what happens we've seen all the movies i would like to see what you guys have for fan fiction favorites in the harry potter world there is the potential that we could link them in the show notes for the podcast but again if we decide to start up a website or what have you we could create an entire fan, uh, basically a fan collection uh, section, uh, stuff that you guys have submitted, links that you guys have submitted, along with a brief kind of synopsis or description of these fanfics. Oh, we could make a Google Docs for that. We could make a Google Docs. Um, I'll have to figure out kind of metrics and I'll have to figure out the best way to do that. But there are several different ways that we can do this. Mm -hmm. Um Again, I want this to be kind of a, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I want this to be kind of a community-driven uh, initiative and r resource gathering. Heck yeah. So, thoughts? I like this idea, especially since we, uh, between the three of us, we already have a website for Crimson Entertainment. Mm -hmm. And technically, Idiot Book Nook uh would effectively fall under um we we could have it as its own separate thing mm -hmm. but if we have idiot book nook fall under the crimson entertainment uh side as well yep so we could have that as a um through in crimson entertainment the section for the podcasts for idiot book nook we absolutely could do that we can we can talk about that off stream um, but as far as chapter three of uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher slash Sorcerer's Stone, is there anything else that you guys want to bring up for points that we need to talk about? Uh, I'm trying to think. I remember reading something else that was that kind of stuck, but I didn't have a chance to. We we couldn't. I didn't write a note on it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think this does showcase a bit more of survival skills that are learned more with Harry than with Dudley because if you look at it uh where do you think du Harry thought to suddenly grab Vernon by the back of the neck oh yeah like do the whole reach around and like yeah, have his arm around his neck 
because Harry's been told, like, he's not typically allowed to watch TV, so chances are he probably saw that or read that somewhere. There's also Probably Mrs. Figs. There's also potentially a very good chance that he could have learned it from Dudley, because don't forget, one of Dudley's best, uh, one of Dudley's favorite pastime sports is, well, bullying Harry. Mm Mm-hmm. Harry hunting. More specifically at school. Yeah. Or, uh more often than not during the summer holidays when his friend when Dudley's friends would come over every single day and we'll get into that uh later on I hope Petunia packs Harry nice lunches <sighs> it would be nice we can dream cool. again specific- that's what I hope I hope that she gives him like a little bit more food because she knows that that's the other thing about the fan fiction I was telling you guys about um that Vernon and Dudley have like really large portions, so Vernon thinks he's giving Dudley small portions, but Petunia knows no, that's the right portions for someone Harry's age and size, and he thinks he's punishing Harry by giving him more vegetables. Jokes on him. Harry loves vegetables. Yeah, mm-hmm. he prefers them. Again, I really like this whole uh, silent ally type thing, doing the best in doing the best that you can in a horrible situation uh, when it comes to Petunia. So I want to hold on to that energy for our next book. Mm-hmm. So let's get into our final thoughts. Let's... We're going to meet one of my favorite characters next. Yeah. We're going to meet Hagrid. Yep. Hagrid. Hagrid, although has his flaws, he dissed the pups. Yep. I will not forgive him for that. Uh, reading Dragon. So we're going to meet Hagrid. Dad Grid. My... <laughs> Dad Grid. Uh, my final thoughts on this chapter, this overall, um, it was a good chapter in how it detailed a lot of the events that got to harry's actual birthday and the events leading up to uh him finally getting to where he can actually talk to someone about why he's getting all these letters yeah and that we'll go into in next chapter and i just really wish that they would have showcased more of what was in the book in the film reading this again and then thinking back on the film it's making me wish that they would have done more in the films than mm-hmm. they did agreed and if if at any point within the next like decade or so that they wanted to like refilm the Harry Potter series or redo it in visual format i would imagine they would pro- yeah i would like to see it more as like a series like on uh, a streaming service series instead of actual films fair to have it be truer to the book fair especially would- for the fifth book i am so salty about how they interpreted the the book into the film We'll get into that in book five. Uh, yeah. Neppy says, let's face it, Hagrid was the most father-like character Harry ever had for the first few books. You are not wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would like to make a counterpoint to that. Okay. Hmm. Her- no, I'm not saying Hagrid wasn't a father-like figure to Harry. He really was. He was like the first nice adult that uh, Harry had in his life and I will always and forever love Hagrid for that however as an adult now I would not trust Hagrid to look after Harry for longer than a couple of days yeah you know what then why don't we put Harry or why don't we put Hagrid solidly in the uncle 
category. He's the oh. cool, he's like the, the semi-responsible uncle. Because here's the thing. We know Hagrid can't cook. Nope. He lives in a shack. Mm-hmm. Just outside the Forbidden Forest. He's always going in there. He's bringing home dangerous creatures. He brought home a dragon. We'll yeah. get into that later in this book, though. Yep. It's yep. just, I, I, I wouldn't, I would trust him to look after a toddler for an afternoon with said rules. I would not trust him to be, say, a godfather. That's fair. He, he is the eccentric uncle. He's the eccentric uncle that is definitely part of the Alphabet Mafia. Yes. So, with that, unless there are any other points that you guys would like to talk about, uh, final thoughts, wrap up, that sort of thing. I think that's that's that about the. I think that about does it. That's the words I was looking for just now. Cool. <laughs> well, with that, then. We would like to thank you for joining us on this episode of the Idiot Book Nook and our reading and discussion on Harry Potter and the Philosopher slash, slash Sorcerer's Stone. For those of you in the chat, in the Twitch chat, we have our social links up and running, as which uh, also the podcast link is now included on there. Uh, you can, uh, for those of you that are in the podcast, you can find Lady Punnett slash Thornwick at, on TikTok at paulina.avalon, P-A-U-L-I-N-A dot A-V-A-L-O-N, I believe. Yes. You can find myself on Linktree at Linktree slash Blazewing2010. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Blazewing2010. And you can find The Reading Dragon on Linktree at L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash The Reading Dragon. All of these links will be posted in the show notes for the episode, so you can go uh, check there. Um, these will be These episodes will be up not only in podcast form, but they will be up on the YouTube as well, which is under Crimson Entertainment. And we are going to be with these podcast episodes, releasing the video portion as well as the audio portion every Monday. So they should be sitting hopefully in your podcast feed every Monday at, well, when you wake up, at least that's kind of the goal. And they will be released the Monday after we do a session. So, um, we'll be doing one chapter and one discussion per episode and then so on and so forth on a weekly basis. So you'll have something to look forward to every Monday. With that being said, for those of you in the Twitch chat, we want to thank you very much for joining us. We have enjoyed having you along. We hope you have enjoyed the, uh, the trip down memory lane, as well as the discussion. Um, we appreciate you guys a hell of a lot. Um, don't forget to send us your, links for your favorite Harry Potter fanfics. We will take a look through those and we will look at including those in the show notes until we get something a little more stable up and running for uh, sections of link, a place that we can basically spread links. No risque stuff. Pardon? No risque stuff. <laughs> we know that there's a lot of fanfics out there with ships. If we do, we'll have to put it behind a wall. Um... And we'll have to make things explicitly clear and our stance on that. I want to say that for the general public, nothing more than PG. Yeah. Uh, we'll figure out, we'll, we'll talk behind the scenes and figure out, figure out how we're going to do that. But for the idiot book nook, thank you very much for joining us. I am Blazewing2010. And I am the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. 
And we will see you guys next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Mountain Time, where we take on Harry Potter and the Philosopher's slash Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 4, The Keeper of the Keys. See you soon! See you later! Bye!